Hello and welcome to a special Hillsdale College interview with Michael Flaherty of Walden Media. I'm John J. Miller, director of the Dow Journalism Program here at Hillsdale College. And Michael Flaherty is president of Walden Media. It's a movie-making company that's best known for the Chronicles of Narnia films based on the beloved C.S. Lewis books. And its latest project is The Giver. It's co-producing a movie called The Giver, which releases on Friday, August 15th starring Jeff Bridges and Meryl Streep. Mike, thanks for joining us. Let's start by discussing the plot of The Giver. What is this movie about, and why did you want to make it? This is the first book that we ever optioned when we started the company with the idea to make films based on great literature. It was a book that I loved because it has all the big ideas in there. The plot simply is, this was the very first dystopian novel. But what makes this one interesting is, unlike the grim landscapes that you have in Divergent and Hunger Games and all of these other YA novels that have been popular, here, materialistically, everything looks perfect. Everything is provided for. There's no hunger. There's no war. There's no famine. But the trade-off for that is personal freedom and individual free will. And so our hero in our story, Jonas, he has what's called the ability to see beyond. And he's the person that finds out the truth about this community. And it becomes his mission to save the community and deliver them free will. So the film The Giver is based on a book. You say you make films based on great literature. The book came out in 1993. It's called The Giver. It's by Lois Lowry. And many Hillsdale students have read this. I know this from talking to them in the classroom and, and, and so forth. It's a popular book with this generation right now. Why do you think that is? Why has this book found so much resonance with teenagers and people in college today? I think it's the first book where we really discover what the world would look like without choice and without God and without love. And for a lot of those difficult teen years, you know, when we're looking and we're trying to rebel, it's very interesting to see what would happen in this kind of world. What if every single one of our needs was met and we didn't have to experience soul-crushing sadness, but we were also robbed of joy and all of those other kinds of highs. And so I think it's the first book that really starts to help kids develop a worldview. Now, there, of course, are other dystopias out there, uh, Brave New World, 1984. The Giver kind of falls into a tradition, doesn't it? It does. And um, what's so amazing about that, and look, um, I'm a huge Orwell fan, so I loved 1984. But what's amazing about these books is how much these totalitarian regimes have in common. The first thing that they always rush to do is to destroy literature. And then the other thing they do is... They try to get every instance of God out of the community because they want to be the sole sovereign Lord over people's lives. And that's what's been interesting for me with this film is to watch Jonas not only discover literature, but as he's experiencing all these sights and all of these sounds that no one else in the community has ever experienced, he learns what the Apostle Paul says in Hebrews 11, that the most important things are the things that we can't see with our eyes. And so I, that's one of my favorite aspects of all of this is this society has outlawed the word of, 
which if you can sum the gospel up in one word, it's love. And then we all know from all the greatest philosophers, without love, all kinds of human misery and evil is possible. One of the things you realize in the very first pages of of 1984 by George Orwell is that you are in a dystopia, an anti-utopia. You know this is a bad place. We have a lot of learning to do about it and why it's bad and what goes behind it, but you know immediately it is a dystopia. The giver, as you mentioned, is a little bit different because this dystopia really kind of looks like a utopia, a perfect place early on. There are some hints that that is not the case, but it it does at a certain level, this community these people live in, is what they call it is the community, it seems like not such a bad place to live. No, and it doesn't have any of the drudgery that Winston Smith and everybody else had to encounter every day at the factories. What I like about this one is Winston was pretty much a, an unlikely hero. He was sort of drawn into all this. Jonas, on the other hand, the second that he starts to find out the truth in great teen rebellion fashion, he replies that I have to do something about this. I've always liked that because we did a movie, Amazing Grace, a while back. I looked through Wilberforce's letters and William Pitt's letters, and when William Wilberforce first became a Christian, he was going to leave government. And William Pitt sat down with him, and he said, as you mature in your faith, you're going to realize that Christianity doesn't lead just to meditation. It leads to action. I think that's another reason why this book is so popular, because it's about a young kid that sees something is wrong, systemically wrong, and he's willing to sacrifice his life and his position to make it better. The book is by Lois Lowry. Who is she? Lois Lowry is a fantastic, brilliant New Englander who has written a number of children's novels, and she's one of the few, we're all familiar with uh, triple-doubles in basketball, a much more difficult milestone to achieve is having not just one Newbery Award, but two Newbery Awards. And Lois won the Newbery for The Giver, and then followed it up just a year later with the Newbery Award for another book I love called Number of the Stars, which looks at the German occupation over a 24-hour period in Denmark. And so she, I like Lois because just like C.S. Lewis, she doesn't mind letting kids know that they're born into a world of real evil, but also to remind them that they also have within their power the ability to change those things. The Newbery Award, the John Newbery Medal, goes to, quote, the uh, most distinguished contribution to American literature for children. And Lois Lowry has won that twice, once for the, for the Giver, this book that came out in 1993. When you take a book like this that's a modern classic and you adapt it to film, what challenges do you face? What are some of the basic problems you deal with taking this work of art from one medium to another? The biggest problem with a story like this is when so much of the story takes place with an internal monologue. So, so much of the story is based on what Jonas is experiencing and the thoughts inside his head. So you have to find a way to externalize those and uh, build a world, build a community all around it. And in addition to that, a lot of the things that he's experiencing can be pretty horrifying. One of the I don't think it's a spoiler alert because people who are familiar with the book know this. 
Jonas realizes that this community has perverted language. So they practice infanticide and euthanasia, but they don't call it by that. They call it by the word release. When Jonas finally witnesses the first release and sees what is happening, he's absolutely horrified. It is easily the most chilling and shocking scene we've ever had to shoot. It was really hard on a lot of the actors to do it as well, but it was, I think, a great scene to demonstrate how once we really dilute language and we try to destroy things with nuance, they become completely different things. I'm glad you brought up infanticide and euthanasia first and gave it the spoiler alert too. I didn't want to do it myself because that's really at the heart of this book, the infanticide and euthanasia. And I think adult readers of The Giver, adults, by the way, can enjoy this book. It's not just for kids. I think adult readers of the book understand what's going on before it becomes plain to the reader. But I think for younger readers, that's less clear. They're not quite sure what release means. And then there's the scene toward the end where it just hits them like a sledgehammer. And I think it has a special effect on people of a certain age who are maybe less good readers, but maybe less sophisticated readers haven't seen some of these tricks before. Do you agree with that? Absolutely. And even Lois mentions that when she began the book, she was actually writing a utopia. And she was writing a place where she would love to live as she continued to write about it. That's when things started to turn, and that's when things started to get malevolent. And I think that's another power of the book, and I think that's another reason why it really appeals to people of faith, is because the things that you see on the outside sometimes can be the radical opposite of what is really happening on the inside. That strikes me as a scene that's not so difficult to film. It's a powerful scene, but in the book, it does have a kind of cinematic quality. It's clearly described. Uh, there is a little dialogue. There's a very clear reaction. That one's tricky because of the, of the subject matter. It's not tricky because you're taking text and putting it on film. There are some other aspects of this book that, where, where this is more difficult. For example, this is a world without color and it is a world without music. And readers discover this partway through the book. They don't know it immediately. How do you deal with something like that in the visual medium of film? We dealt with it through Jonas's eyes. So for probably the first 20 minutes of the film, Jonas sees entirely in black and white. And there is an occasional glimpse of the color red. And then the giver gifts him with the memory of color. And this ties back into the totalitarianism we were talking about earlier, John. I mean, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. And after he receives color, Jonas asks the giver, why do we do away with color? And the giver said, well, because it was yet another thing that created differences among us. And we decided that the best way for a healthy society was to eliminate all differences and to promote sameness, to make us all look and feel and talk the same way. The word sameness, when it appears in the novel, is, is sameness with a capital S. So you know this is a big deal. There's a great line from the book, and I, I want to ask, is it in the movie? But the book that really kind of summarizes the moral at the center of The Giver, and it's where The Giver, this character, this person who is The Giver, is in conversation with Jonas and trying to make him understand why 
the community that they live in is the way it is and is teaching him. And Jonas says, we really have to protect people from wrong choices. It dawns on him and he makes this statement, we really have to protect people from wrong choices. He, of course, rebels against that later on. I think the giver wants him to. But he does reach this conclusion and that's really what this community believes in, protecting people from wrong choices. Well, what's even more amazing about it is he's the only person to even realize that choice exists because they've done such a good job through social engineering and medications and everything else to prevent people from even knowing that they have free will. There's a great scene at the end, John, it's like an actor's workshop between Meryl Streep and Jeff Bridges. And Jeff Bridges is talking about we need love to return to this community because with love comes faith and hope and Meryl Streep just shakes her head and she says, love is just misdirected passion. People are weak. When people have the freedom to choose, they choose wrong every time. I think that is always the connecting tissue with all these dystopias and with every tin pot dictator and totalitarian regime that we've ever had is that there's always this priestly class of people that think they know better and they want to protect us from ourselves. The scene you just described sounds like a great scene. I also know from having read the book that it's not in the book. So how, how do you deal with a choice like that? You're bringing in content. It may be faithful to the book in certain ways, but it, but it's new to the book. I know I, there, there'll be kids who walk out of the movie theater after seeing The Giver and they'll say, they may say, I loved it, but they'll also say it was different from the book. Oh, yes. And uh, Lois gave us actually the the best guidelines. And what she said was, I want a faithful adaptation, not a literal adaptation. She just took a classic Maine New Englanders approach that a literal adaptation is a myth. It's an impossibility once you go to film because there's all kinds of different things that you have to do. And the key for us was just expanding those themes, the themes of freedom and choice. And another theme that's not in the book, um, but is heavily implied, is faith. It's very clear that this community has gone out of its way to rid the community of religion and any reference to religion. And uh, so, of course, uh, once that is completely gone, uh, this whole idea of hope and expectation and this idea that we were built for a greater purpose than being a cog in a government wheel gets eliminated. Last question, Mike. You have a lot of experience with movies in Hollywood, and, and a lot of us complain about Hollywood, that it produces trashy pop culture, that it's vulgar, it's crass, it's politics, our left wing. Is that the Hollywood you know? Do you have to fight against that when you try and put out a film like The Giver? Sometimes yes, and uh, sometimes no. I think that those conversations are always subordinated by the bottom line conversations. So the idea that um, there's no mistake, it's pretty much a cause and effect, that all of the movies that came out this year, particularly for folks in the, in the faith audience, whether it's God is Not Dead or Heaven is for Real, the fact that those have done so well means that there are going to be so many more films like that because 
nobody in Hollywood can stay in business just to push an agenda. They have to create films that will make money. And so that is what's really, truly helping us, is that there's a lot of believers out there that are voting with their wallet, and they're treating opening weekend like it's a cultural ballot box. They're going out there, they're supporting the films, and when I'm in a room talking to other producers and studios, they make my job a hundred times easier. You can go to the cultural ballot box on Friday, August 15th, when The Giver comes to movie theaters. Michael Flaherty of Walden Media, thank you for joining us. Hey, John, it's a, it's a pleasure, and uh, looking forward to heading back to the campus. You guys have me uh, there when Amazing Grace came out, and Richard Terabithia, two movies within two weeks of each other, and they both did well, and I know that there was a little providence involved there. We'd love to have you back. Thanks for listening.